to the elders who preach and teach. A person who uh, teaches school is worthy of being paid for it. The ox who is working is worthy of being paid in the sense of feeding grain. A person who drives a truck is worthy of being paid for that. A person who works at an office is worthy of being paid for that. And the Bible says an elder who teaches the word is worthy of being paid. And in order for that to happen, people have to give money to the church. It's just, I don't know how else that would happen. Now, sometimes elders are not paid. And personally, I have, I have not been and I am not paid anything from real life church. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, uh, elders are tent makers and they provide for some or all of their own income. Josh has supported himself like that for several years. But a couple of years ago, we made the move uh, for him to be a paid elder, a paid pastor, an elder who teaches and preaches. So uh, we pay Josh a, a modest salary, and I consider it that, especially when you consider that out of the amount paid, he must pay his own health insurance, employment taxes, retirement, and other benefits that employers generally cover. Luke has paid a small amount, a small allowance for his hours of work as a worship leader. We pay Brian and Mandy monthly as a church in addition to what monthly support many of you give them. Uh, we currently have a rent expense. Uh, that's a big one. That's $33,000 a year. Uh, last year we had charitable contributions of, of a church of about 10000 There's church van expenses, insurance, and on and on. And my purpose is not to get into the details of a church budget, but just to make the point that it takes money to exist and function as a church. Okay? Like I said, I'm just having a heart-to-heart talk with you this morning. Uh, Someone might say, well, the church is not about buildings and money. And I would say amen to that. There, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. Our core purpose is to proclaim Christ and to present every person complete or mature in Christ. We want that to be our focus. We want that to be what we're about. We want that to be the message that you hear Sunday after Sunday. But just like during the days of the apostles, just like during the days of the New Testament church, it takes money to do that, I mean, some people act as if the, the the during the apostles and the New Testament church, they didn't need money or didn't that there there was no need for such a thing that they somehow just operated as you know empowered spirits without any need for things that money buys, and it's just not true. I mean, if you read the Bible, uh, there was uh, a lot about money and the need for money and support and issues like that. <clears throat> Your family, your family is not about houses and money, is it? I mean, would you say your, your family is really about houses and money? None of you would say that. And yet it takes money to have a family, to exist as a family, to function as a family. And likewise, all ministry takes money to function. You know that even Jesus and the disciples had to have money to travel from town to town as they did? 
They did. You know, some people think they just they just just were out there going. Didn't happen that way. It took cash. Okay? And Luke tells us that a group of women traveled with Jesus. A group of women. Get this. And some of them were probably well-to-do women, money, women that had come from family with means or whatever. But they had been touched by Jesus, and a group of women traveled with Jesus and the disciples from town to town and supported them, Luke says, out of their own means. The reality is that, that all work for Jesus takes money, whether, whether we like that it does or not. The reality is that if we want to have a building, which many of you know that we're in the process of seeking to move, move in that direction, but the reality is if we want to have a building and a pastor, we have to give dollars, U.S. dollars, <laughs> to make that happen. If we want to have chairs to sit in, if we want to have bathrooms to use, places to park, rooms for Sunday school or the youth praise band, and on and on, it takes many people giving regularly and substantially to make that happen. Now, here at Real Life Church, we have never, in my opinion, never, in my opinion, coerced people to give. In fact, we've been largely silent on the topic. We don't even take up an offering here. We just have a box out in the back. We have never made money a big issue. We have never wanted people who could not give to feel that they were not welcome here. There are churches that are always pressuring people for money. I mean, it's just, it's just a weekly mantra. Churches that just regularly pressure people for money. There are churches always reminding people of how far, how, how, of how far their giving has, has fallen short of the budget. There are churches that send people to your house to get you to promise to give so much. Many churches actually use professional fundraisers and professional fundraising techniques to maximize contributions. Okay, we don't do that, and we don't do that, or we don't do that, and we won't do that, but we can go too far the other way, thinking that it is somehow inappropriate to talk about giving to the church, and it's not. I mean, the Bible was totally, in the Bible you see what Paul said to the churches about giving, and he was just Boy, he, was, he put it right up there front where people couldn't miss it. And it is something that we need to talk about so that you will not miss out on the blessing, on the blessing of giving. Now, before I go any further, I also want to say this. Uh, at some point in most of our lives, all we can do is receive. All we can do is let others carry the financial load. And if that is where you truly are this morning, I just want you to say, I place no burden on you today. But for the most part, 
for the most of us, God's plan is that we move to a place in life where we not only meet our own needs, but have something left over to give. And a part of our responsibility as elders is to bring us all, to bring you and me, includes all of us, I'm including myself in this, but to bring you to maturity in all areas of life, including the area of faithful, planned, regular, sacrificial giving to the, to the work of the ministry. Now, uh, with that background, I want to move into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and talk about giving from, from these two chapters. Uh, this is not going to be like an in-depth exposition of these chapters. It, it, it can't be. I'm, I'm just going to pull what I believe God wants us to hear from this this morning. And, but I do need to set just a bit of context. Uh, there, there, was, there, was, there was a need, there was an offering being, being taken up, and here's what was going on. There was a specific, crucial need that had, had arisen for the Christians in Jerusalem. This was not a regular church offering, okay? Uh, if you read, this, read through these, these chapters, you, you get, some, get the idea that something really special was going on. It was an emergency offering for people in dire need. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem were experiencing persecution and poverty. They were outcasts, despised by other Jews. Their property was confiscated. Their businesses failed. Their families disowned them. And on top of all of that, there was a famine. So many of the Gentile churches decided to take up a collection to give to their persecuted Jewish brothers and sisters. And the Corinthians had a great enthusiasm to help these saints. They had expressed right from the get-go, right from when this need was made known to them, they had been enthusiastic about taking up a collection for these, these poor believers in Jerusalem. And they had actually promised a gift. They said, guys, help is on the way. We're going we're gonna to send you guys an offering. But you know what? They had never actually followed through and done it. They'd never got around to making their contribution. So that really is the background of what Paul says to them in these two chapters. Paul seeks to stir them up and to help them complete their good intentions. And part of the way that he does this is to tell the Corinthian believers about the Macedonian believers and how they gave, and he uses that. He uses the story or telling about the believers from Macedonian churches uh, to really teach the Corinthian church about giving. So in these two chapters... If you, if you ever want to do a Bible study on giving, man, it's almost everything's right here. Uh, certainly, I mean, there's tons of other places. I don't mean that. But uh, in these two chapters, we find some of the richest truths in the Bible about giving. And so I'm going to pull out these truths and share with you as the Holy Spirit helps me to do that. Number one, it takes grace. It takes God's grace to make us givers. 2 Corinthians 8.1, the very first verse. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Well, what grace did God give the Macedonian churches? It was the grace 
to give, and specifically the grace to give money. You know, grace does a lot of things in our lives. It teaches us to say no to sin. It teaches us to love God and to love others. It also teaches us to give money. Verse 7 calls this the grace of giving. It is a work of God in your heart to enable you to do something that you ordinarily wouldn't do. And only grace, only God's grace can liberate us from the natural tendency to cling to our money. We are all self-protective by nature. I mean, if it's, if it's 10 below zero outside, which it will be here in a few months or maybe that cold, you know, we go inside. We, go, we do something to protect ourselves. It's just human instinct to protect ourselves, to protect our money, to protect our possessions. And that's why you put your money in the bank or put it in your billfold or in your purse. It's, it's not natural for us to want to part with our money. It's natural for us to think only of our own needs. It is natural to never think that we have enough money to give. But God's grace comes and invades our lives and does something miraculous. God's grace makes us givers of money. It is instinctive in the heart of every born-again person to be a giver. It's something, something there. It might be kind of covered up. You might have kind of suppressed it. But somewhere in your heart, if you're born again, there, there is an instinct born of God in you, put in you by God to make you a giver. And because grace or giving is a work of God's grace, uh, giving at least biblical giving, grace giving, cannot be humanly explained. Now, I know that there's people that give in order to have their name on a plaque uh, or to have their name in the newspaper in order to be highly thought of by other people. That happens all the time. But to truly give in a biblical way takes, it's a, it's a work of grace and it can't be humanly ex- explained. Verses 8 and 2 of this chapter 8 says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. You know, it's interesting. uh, Some commentators think that, that Paul didn't even... He didn't even let the Macedonian believers know about this, or he didn't appeal to them. A.T. Robertson says apparently Paul had been reluctant to press the Macedonians because of their manifest poverty. They are the ones who demanded the right to have a share in it. And that's, there's something supernatural about that. Here, these were people that, that um, Paul felt like they were so poor that, that he didn't even feel like he could present the need to them. And they said, no, Paul, we want to have a part of this. That's grace. That's a work of grace. From a human standpoint, they didn't have enough to give. They were in severe trial. Only the grace that God has given, as it says, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that only can explain what they did. I am all for planned what I'm going to call logical giving, okay? You know, thinking through your budget, 
reasoning out what you're going to give. I'm all for that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, later on. But, But our giving should not always be restrained by careful human logic and reasoning. There's just a time where the grace of God comes upon us and moves us to give, and we should, we should allow that to happen. Uh, number two, giving is to overflow out of giving yourself first to God. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and they, and he's talking about the Macedonians, and they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. I don't know the total uh, meaning of, of this verse the first part, I you know, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then some feel that they gave them they gave money actually to support Paul, and then they gave to this need, which is which is amazing because there there is sort of that there is sort of that divine what Paul calls it according to the will of God that according to God's will. I mean, really, if you haven't given yourself to God, He doesn't want your money. You know, if there's someone in here this morning that doesn't know Christ, we don't want your money. But they gave themselves first to God, then they gave themselves to, to, the, to the, the teachers and authorities over them, the apostles. They gave themselves to, to support the apostles, and then to this need, which is, which is really amazing. But the, 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 the main point that I want to make is that, that giving is an overflow out of giving ourselves first to God. And there is no reason to talk about giving money until you give yourself to the Lord, and giving comes from that. And, you know, really, until we give ourselves to the Lord unreservedly, until we really just abandon our lives and our future and who we are and what we are and what we have and where we're going, until we abandon that to the Lord, every dollar is a battle. So it's critical that we give ourselves first to the Lord. But as you give yourself to the Lord, then giving in big and small ways flow out of you according to the will of God. Number three, uh, we should seek to excel in giving. Verse 7, very interesting verse, verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it that you excel in the grace of God. Of giving. Challenging thought as far as what do you want to excel in? Even and, and our kids. You know, you want your kids to excel in school or be in, in sports or whatever. Do you want do you want them to excel in giving? And just just a you know a parenting tip thrown in here on, on, a, on a message on giving. You want to be good yourself at what you do, and I, I think we should. I think as believers we should seek to excel at whatever we do. We should do everything wholeheartedly and do it well as unto the Lord. Uh, and maybe you, maybe you are very good at what you do in your work. Maybe you are very good at sales or coaching or parenting or cooking or fixing things or whatever. And Paul just says, see to it that you are also very good 
at giving. And he actually uses qualities of faith. He says, you may excel in faith. I mean, man, maybe you've just got faith that can move mountains and get people healed and everything. He says, okay, fine, great. Also see that you excel in giving. <clears throat> or you're, you, you excel in speech or in knowledge. I mean, maybe you really know the Bible. Wonderful. <laughs> also be good at giving. Whatever else you are good at, do well in this area too. Number four, uh, grace giving cannot be coerced or forced. Verse nine, um, even in this situation that Paul is dealing with at Corinth, it's interesting. Beginning of verse nine, he says, I am not commanding you. It might sound like it, but I'm not. He says, I am not commanding you. Uh, New American Standard says, I give you this not as an order. Okay? Grace giving cannot be under compulsion. You know, Paul doesn't pull out the Old, Old Testament law of the tithe for these people. Grace giving is not externally imposed, but inwardly motivated by the Spirit of God. Uh, Terry Virgo said this. He said, the New Covenant did not change believers' giving from 10% to 15% or cut it to 7%. The powerful New Covenant produced people who were joined to one another in love. The grace of God knitted their hearts so profoundly that their pocketbooks were touched and generous sharing characterized them. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 Put it this way, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, J.B. Phillips maybe kind of maybe went a little bit over the top, but he said, for God loves a hilarious giver. But it does matter to God whether we give reluctantly or cheerfully grudgingly or eagerly, under compulsion or willingly. It makes a vast difference to God. God wants cheerful, eager, willing givers. And you'll note that that's the kind of qualities that Paul commended both at Corinth and in in the believers at Macedonia. Paul said to to the believers at Corinth, he said, I know your eagerness to help and your enthusiasm has stirred others to action. I mean, those are the things that he commended. That's uh, chapter 9, verse 2. To those in Macedonia, it says, they gave entirely on their own. I like that. They gave entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege... They saw giving as a privilege for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And that, that is what God wants. Giving that is harshly uh, demanded or legalistically commanded ruins the very thing that God is looking for in our heart. And as I said earlier, so many offerings are collected through pressure and guilt and manipulation. I listen to a lot of Christian radio and over the years have, have given regularly to, cert, to, to certain of them. 
But I'm always a little concerned if a program is saying something like this all the time. If you don't send in money to me today, my ministry is going off the air. I mean, there's just, there's just that, that sense of you better or else. In certain circles, when an offering is collected, uh, the person up front will turn it into a kind of guilt-laden seance. And that's not my phrase, but I read it and I thought, wow, that so perfectly fits what some people do to get money. A guilt-laden seance. You know, every head bowed, every eye closed. I sense that God is selling, telling someone here to give $10,000. And if you don't do that, if you don't listen to God, you're, you know, your business is going to fail or you won't be able to make your house payment or whatever. I mean, there's just, it, it is truly becomes sort of a guilt-laden seance. You know, but it's, it's interesting that in, in Corinthians, it really doesn't even say, uh, you know, listen for this voice to tell you what you're supposed to give, you know, because it's usually the guy up front that you're hearing, okay? He says, you better do this. It doesn't say that. It says decide in your own heart. It says you decide in your heart because God wants something from you as an eager, willing gift. Warren Worsby said, During my years of ministry, I have endured many offering appeals. I have listened to pathetic tales about unbelievable needs. I have forced myself to laugh at old jokes that were supposed to make it easier for me to part with my money. I have been scolded, shamed, and threatened into giving. And more than once, I gave less than I planned because I was so disgusted with this type of worldly approach. Number five. Grace giving can and should be stirred up. Now, because we do not impose compulsory giving, that does not mean we are not to stir up the practice of giving. Does that make sense? I mean, you can kind of, just because we're not uh, pressuring and manipulating, that doesn't mean that we can't stir up people to give. We should. Um, we are to stir up the practice of giving. Grace does not mean no exhortation. You know, people confuse this all the time. Uh, If someone is corrected or admonished or challenged about something in the Christian life, in our present kitchen, in our our present, in our present Christian culture, um, often the response is, hey, where's the grace? But, Part of grace in the Bible is encouraging people to respond to the grace that God has working in them. In other words, we are to give outward promptings to go with the inner promptings of grace. And the main way Paul stirred up these Christians at Corinth was by sharing the story of how others, specifically the believers in Macedonia, gave out of their severe trials and poverty. He did that to stir up the grace of giving. I remember being stirred up to give by a guy a long time ago I met. His name was Mike Merritt. And I knew that Mike uh, worked a full-time job. And I found out somehow that he had taken on another part-time job, an extra job. And I was a little surprised because he was plenty busy. 
And so I asked him, you know, why did you take on this second job? And he said, so I can have some extra money to give. And kind of just about knocked me over. Um, I thought, you know, this guy takes giving pretty seriously. And, and it had, the effect it had on me was to stir me up. Grace giving will be stirred up as we think of the examples of Christ. Most all of us know this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you might become rich. You know, the purpose of Paul sharing that verse with the Corinthians was to stir, stir them up, to give money. Jesus left the riches of heaven and experienced poverty and death on a cross, the poverty of suffering and death on a cross for our sakes, for your sakes, so that we might become rich, rich in peace with God, rich in the love of God, rich in the righteousness of Christ. And his generosity is to stir up our hearts. Number six, grace giving <clears throat> means we actually do give. And I have a verse for this, but before I get to it, you know, again, some people have the mistaken idea that grace means never doing anything. You know, so if we're living by grace, that means I never do anything for anybody. You know, I'm not committed to anything. I'm not committed to anybody. I'm just living by grace, man. You know, somehow that's, that's the concept that we have. Well, grace giving means that we actually do give. The Christians at Corinth had heard of the need of the believers in Jerusalem. They had been enthusiastic about taking up a collection for them. They had actually sent word saying, "Hey guys, no worries. We're gonna, you know we got your back. We're gonna we're gonna send. We got this gift coming to you." But Time had passed, and they had done nothing. And so Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians 8.11. He said, now finish the work of giving, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And so, I mean, Paul was just saying, uh, you know, you've talked about it. You've been excited about it. You said you're going to do it. Just now, let's... Time to go do it. Grace means we actually do give. And, you know, you may be stirred to give, motivated to give. Uh, you may get this warm feeling in your heart when you think about giving to a person or church or ministry. Uh, but reality is there has to come a time when you, when you actually do pull out the checkbook or open your billfold. Number seven, giving is to be propor- proportional. I'm going to skip out of the context of these two chapters to 1 Corinthians 16.2, which says, On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Okay? In keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. Now, that phrase, in keeping with his income, is, is translated um, as God has prospered you or in proportion to what you have. 
So giving is to be proportional. 2 Corinthians 8, 11, and 12, back into our chapters that we're looking at this morning. Uh, Paul says, to give according to your means. And he says, and your gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And <clears throat> very, I mean, the, the reality is that people, people have uh, different resources. I mean, people have different, different amounts. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just reality. And God says, you know, when we take up this, this collection, it's according to what a person has or according as God has prospered you. And I, and I, I like the way it says it in, in 2 Corinthians 8.11. Uh, it, it's like, uh, you know, we're, we're not asking for what you don't have. Uh, it's acceptable to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I mean, God is not asking you to give what you absolutely do not have. I mean, he, he knows you. He knows your situation. He sees. God is merciful. God understands. And so God is asking for proportional giving. Those with more money give more money or can and are to give more money. Those who have more resources are to give more. But some who give out of their poverty may be only able to give a small amount of change or a few dollars. And the Bible teaches that God is pleased with both. In fact, I mean, the story of, of the widow's might teaches us that he might be more pleased with the person giving less because it's more, more sacrificial. So giving is, is pr- proportional. And s- number seven, giving is like sowing seed. When you give, when you give something to the church or to a ministry, you give it in Jesus' name, you give it by faith, you're giving it as unto the Lord, you give that away, and so now you have less, right? If you had $200 and you gave $100, you have $100. If you had $2 and you gave $1, now you have $1. You have less. So we think in terms of giving, meaning that we have less, um, you gave something away, you'll never see it again. But, but that's not what the Bible says. It says that giving is like sowing seed. You put it in the ground for a while, in a, or in a sense you lose it for a while, but in the anticipation that something greater will come back. If you sow more, you will reap more back from God. I mean, that's, that's right there in Scripture. Verse 10 and 11, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. It says if you, it says if you give, if you plant your seed, you're, you're going to reap back a lot. And he says you'll be made rich in every way. What does that mean? I think just what it says. In every way. 
and so that you can even be more generous on more and more occasions. You know, I think most people approach giving by thinking, uh, you know, after, say, you know, it's like, okay, I know, I hear you, I know this, um, after I finally make enough money for myself, meet our needs, then then I, I will give. Some, someday I really do plan to do that. I really want to. Someday I'm going to do that. But, you know, that never happens. And so giving is always postponed. But God says the way to have an abundance is, is to give. Giving is a statement of faith. It's an act of faith. I mean, there's something... Uh, I don't care how much money you have or don't have. There's something... When you take something of yours, I, care, I don't care if it's $1 or thousands of dollars, whatever, when you take something that is yours and you give it to God, and by faith, you're, you might be giving it to Real Life Church, you might be giving it to somebody else, but you're giving it, in, you're giving it by faith to God. It's an act of faith. Something happens. You're giving away Money is so, so such a part of our lives. We need money to live, operate, function in this world. And when you, when you give that away, you're, you're really giving, in a sense, something away of yourself, trusting that God will take care of you, that God will be faithful to do what he says. So giving is really, uh, you know what Hebrews 11 says, uh, you know, if you come to God, you must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I mean, giving is a way of, that, of saying that. Giving is saying, okay, I believe God exists. Otherwise, I wouldn't give this. <laughs> I believe God exists, and I believe that he is a rewarder. And I believe that what he says about sowing and reaping. I really do. So one of the reasons that I you know, wanted to talk to you about giving this morning is not just that we, that, that we would be more faithful in giving to Real Life Church, but that so you would not miss out on the reward and the blessing of, of being a giver and of, have, of having a lifestyle of, of regular giving. We do not preach a prosperity gospel here at Real Life Church that says that God wants every Christian wealthy, and you, you, if you give certain amounts to certain ministries in certain ways, you're going to become wealthy. But I fear that in reaction against that teaching, uh, I think we have to be careful that we do not downplay the scriptural truths that says that we will be blessed in giving. Uh, the statements of the Bible are almost too numerous to know even where to start to to give back up for this this point. Second uh, Corinthians nine six. Remember this. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like, hey, listen up, guys, listen up. Whoever sows spir- sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And you know, I, unless we want to really spiritualize that, I gotta say, I gotta think he's talking about sowing money and reaping money at least in part. Proverbs 3, 9, you know, God bless the navigators. It's one of the first verses they taught us to memorize. (laughs) Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
I could quote that verse in my sleep. But it's, a, but it's a fantastic verse. It's a fantastic verse to have in your life. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And here we see not only an example of being rewarded for giving, but also that principle of faith again, giving of the first, giving of the first of what you have, believing that God will bless the rest. Now, hang with me for a few more minutes. Are, are, you, are we okay? Is anybody just bored out of their mind? Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, some say that you should never think of being blessed for giving. I mean, I hear this all the time on Christian radio. You should never, don't think about being blessed. You give only. And there, there's some truth in that. I mean, we give because we've been so generously blessed and given to by God. We give because we love God. But the scriptures are full of verses that says to give and you will be blessed. So what are we supposed to do? Just ignore the, that last part of the verse? I mean, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. I mean, I don't know if anybody doesn't want that. I know people have abused these truths, and people have told told people to give, you know, give money to my ministry and you're going to get rich. I, I know that. I've seen it all. The, I see it all the time. I, I actually don't much, watch much, much Christian TV anymore, partly because of that. But, I mean, I know these things are out there. But should we overreact? Uh, should we deny the plain meaning of these verses because some people have abused them? I don't think so. I think we should have a healthy sense of believing and understanding uh, that giving results in, in God's blessing on your life. It says you'll, you'll be rich in everything. You'll be made rich in everything. Then I'm just going to wrap up with a few comments here. Um, plan your giving. Again, I'm going to step out. Go, go back to that verse of Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 16. Two. It says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And again, this was for a specific offering, but that you see the principle there of, you know, it's like, uh, you know, we don't give under compulsion. You decide to do something in your heart. You, you set it aside. Um, you set a certain amount aside each week. Um, you, you know, you, 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 there's there's a little bit of discipline or, or systematic nature to this, and so you know, here's what I would encourage you to do. You, you you know, you look at what God says, talk it over with your spouse, and you decide in your heart. If you have a spouse, if you're single, you decide by yourself. But you decide in your heart and you do it. Um, planned regular giving is a biblical way to give, and it becomes. Just as much a part of you as paying your rent or making your house payment or paying mid-American energy. And I don't mean that it's on the same level as that, but it just becomes that, it just becomes that natural, that, that regular, that, that a part of your life. And then start somewhere. You know, I'm not going to go into the tithe and, and all of that this morning. Uh, I know Christians have a lot of different convictions on that. But I would say start somewhere. 
I know some people would have problems with with this, uh, but I always, I always found what Larry Burkett would tell people very fascinating. He would say, if you've never given before, you aren't used to giving anything, he would say, start giving 2% or 3%. And then he would say, and then see if you are not better off in every way at the end of the year for having given to the Lord. And then increase that amount. Now, I'm going to go back and get really practical with you. I said that I, you know, I was going to share heart to, from my heart this morning. Um, and I know I realize that God will move people differently in different ways from this message, and I, I expect that. But I do want to say this. We do plan to move into our own building early next year, Real Life Church. And we, we're, the plan is, you know, it's the plan... The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I mean, I, I get that. As the Lord wills, we plan to close on the building January 1st. Uh, but it will likely take about three months to make some of the changes that we have to make to meet code and to have it ready for our use. And I would love to see our hearts stirred up as a church. And I, I realize vastly differing differing abilities to give. But I would like to see as a church overflowing in generosity to give big and small gifts to help help us with that move and the building and to order chairs and just do all the stuff that we have to do to do that to fix bathrooms. I mean I said I said that earlier, you know, it it that it's a reality. We have to bring those bathrooms up to code in order even for us to meet in there as a church. And so, you know, I would just uh, say over the next couple of months or a few months, if you're able and inspired uh, in your heart to do so, um, consider, you know, putting something in the offering box, market for the for the new church building. Uh, but we, because you know, we are going to need we are going to need need that. We're going to need many people giving faithful, substantial amounts just to just to practically carry on. The ministry. Well, you know, giving is a privilege, and the, the, the these uh, dear saints at Macedonia they realize that, and um, pray that we would all we would all see that. Let's pray, Father. Uh, thank you for um, the miracle of of making us givers, and it's proportional proportional, not putting any yoke on anybody. I don't want anybody to feel that. Um, But yet, Lord, we want to be stirred up by your grace to excel in this grace of giving. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.